Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in crime and punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Michael Hartman. He is director of the Center of Strategic Giving and is here to talk about the field of philanthropy in America today. Uh, welcome, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate your, uh, you know, lowering our expectations and having somebody like me on. I've enjoyed <laughs> listening to your show and uh, hope I don't denigrate the reputations of others by being uh, among them as a guest. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll try and hold. I'll, I'll try and do the same. Okay. Uh, first of all, a little information. What does the Center of Strategic Giving do? Yeah, I joined the Capital Research Center uh, to start the Center for Strategic Giving at the beginning of 2017. Uh, this after having worked at the Lyndon and Harry Bradley Foundation in Milwaukee for almost 20 years. Hmm. So we uh, study uh, and contribute to the public discourse uh, about philanthropy uh, and giving uh, more largely. Giving would include political uh, giving, as it were. The main project of the center and, and what I work on uh, most of the time is something called the Giving Review, which is a portal, a blog, really, on yeah. the Philanthropy Daily site, uh, philanthropydaily.com. Uh, and I work on this with two co-editors of mine who are mentors of mine from Bradley, uh, Dan Schmidt and Bill Shamber. Dan Schmidt uh, probably worked worked at Bradley for, more, for about three decades, more than three decades, I think. And uh, Bill Shambra was there at Bradley when I got there and then went on to uh, run something at the Hudson Institute called the Bradley Center for Philanthropy and Civic Renewal. Mm -hmm. So we study and talk about uh, and again, as I say, try to contribute to the public discourse about philanthropy in a way that reflects our worldview, which is conservative, which we, I guess, would say is underrepresented in this space, in this discourse. Uh, as well as being underrepresented, as I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, in, in the grant making itself. Yeah. But uh, so, so that's what we do. We, pre, you know, relying on the uh, decades worth of experience uh, on the part of all three of us as co-editors, but the uh, the wisdom of the two other co-editors in, in, in trying to uh, you know, foster meaningful discussion about what goes on in this in this space, as they say. Well, let me ask you a historical question. Uh, you, you came into this world in the 90s. How would you compare giving in 1995, say, with giving in 2021? I mean, what, what might be the two major differences that you recall? Oh, so 
I would say the following is a pop quiz. And you mean regarding giving overall, not just within conservatism, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, either way, uh, Michael, just uh, whatever you think. Right. I think it is. There's more of it. Right. There's just more money sloshing around. Uh, because of stock market performances and wealth generated in large part in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't give you the ratio uh, overall giving. You know, we can try We've tried to come up with categorizing ide- uh, ideologically some of the giving, which we can maybe talk about. But, but yeah. be- between 95 and now, there's much more money. And two, it's much more uh, politicized, like everything. Yeah. But, uh, there's been a politicization of philanthropy and giving uh, since then, which has had ramifications for our country, including its culture and others. So larger and more political. And has Silicon Valley hugely altered the giving philanthropy landscape in America? I would say it probably uh, – I'd you know, maybe just be minimally more – Sober. It's in the process of hugely changing grant making in America. Some of the other sort of old line foundations uh, in establishment philanthropy, as I'll call it, sometimes we say big philanthropy, you know, are there, Ford uh, uh, and others, maybe yeah. a little Pew. more with a center of gravity on the East Coast. So it's not the case that Silicon Valley is the end all and be all, but it sure seems to be on its way to becoming that, doesn't it? Which usually means, uh, I mean, it might be a little more libertarian. Uh, the donors are either alive or not gone for as long. So that also affects the way in which uh, the grant makers think they can go about their work. But uh, I would say it's in the process of hugely changing uh, the way in which money is moving around the nonprofit world or the policy oriented world or both. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you say in one of the papers that you published on, on the site that the philanthropy world is now really dominated by a liberal outlook. Uh, you, you mentioned a moment ago, it's more politicized, but it's politicized even more strongly in a left of center direction. Why do you think that's happened in the last 20, 30 years? Well, you know, that like kind of goes to motive, right? So I want to be careful, but I think it's happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, it has happened on both sides. Uh, I will be able to acknowledge. I don't know if that's a concession or admission, but, uh, but since the imbalance is so much more liberal to conservative, more of this foundation money, more of this, as we say, 501c3, citing the, uh, the, the IRS code there, money is, is being devoted to, uh, well, politics, short termism, you know, the people are more interested in affecting uh, an election or how about this contributing to the public discourse during the weeks preceding an election uh, than, than, than the long term outlook that might have been at least a little more present when I first got to Bradley in the 90s uh, on the uh, so, so, you know, I think that it's happening because they can get away with it. You know, charity uh, has come to include politics, just like infrastructure has come to include anything and everything. You know, charity is the definition. It's a sphere of meaning that has come to include a lot of things that it probably was not intended to mean uh, to sound like the conservative there on a statutory interpretation uh, matter. But uh, why don't you let me uh, let's just talk about the the imbalance uh, that's been growing and is now quite strike striking. 
You know, in in a 2017 paper, Howard Husak, a great scholar, he was at the Manhattan Institute at the time. He's now at the Philanthropy Roundtable. He created a database of 64 foundations. These are foundations. Uh, Another would be foundations in Silicon Valley uh, as well, Uh, though they're quicker to do LLCs and, you know, non-tax exempt uh, entities. But of the 64 in his database, 28 were right-leaning and 24 were left-leaning. But he gave to CRC the, the database and we toted up the spending. So this is foundation spending uh, between liberals and conservatives, fully realizing their subjectivity in the categorization. But let me give you the ratios starting in 2005 and then going, well, really for 10 years. Uh, but th- th- this is liberal to conservative foundation spending, 2005. 5.1 to 1, then 4.9 to 1, 3.8 to 1, 4.6 to 1, 5 to 1, 1.2 to 1. That's 2010. There's a uh, you know outlier year there. Uh, then picking up 2011, 3.4 to 1, 3.1 to 1, 4.1 to 1. And finally, in, in 2014, 3.3 to 1. So, you know, that's pretty stark and has probably gotten worse since then. That was a spending on policy oriented philanthropy, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so when people in the middle of the country or a regular everyday people think of charity, they might think of, oh, I don't know, the Salvation Army or the Red Cross. But uh, this is what's going on in policy oriented philanthropy. Uh, one more little datum uh, the Capital Research Center itself updated a previous study. Uh, Looking at uh, looking at revenues of non policy oriented nonprofit groups. So these are groups funded by foundations. They're looking at the revenues of the recipient groups from either 2017 or 18, uh, and they you know came up with what to me is a fair way. It's on the website. You can check it out to categorize uh, liberal policy oriented nonprofits and conservative policy oriented nonprofits. Uh, but in, in in taking the most recent of those two years, 17 or 18, the difference was 3.7 to 1, uh, $8.1 billion on the liberal side to $2.2 billion on the conservative side. So, you know, that's one, helpful to know, uh, and two, should perhaps affect the way in which we, all of us, and we conservatives think about how to react yeah. Uh You know, when we were at Bradley, we would have said, well, we need to be more strategic. And we believe that, and I think we were right on school choice and welfare reform and funding the conservative intellectual infrastructure. But the imbalance is is greater now. And as with all of conservatism, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a debate about how to react. And it's helpful to know that uh, when wondering how to react in this space, as I've said a couple of times now. You know, I gosh, about I think about 20 years ago, Lewis Lapham wrote an article in Harper's on sort of the many tentacles of rage that were part of the big money conservative foundation donor donor world. And they he, he talked and many others would talk about this massive funding operation among conservatives to get the think tanks going, you know, Heritage and uh, AEI and Cato, keep keep them flying. And that the left wing world of donors was was sort of much, much smaller and fighting an uphill battle. Is that myth still alive? Well, I don't know that that was a myth. I mean, it is the case that conservative grantmakers were effective. 
see, I'm being uh, selfish here, right? Or self-serving. We, when a Bradley person hears that, they accept the compliment. <laughs> uh, and there were others, you know, Olin and Scape, that really yeah. did create a yeah. good intellectual infrastructure. And the liberals consciously decided to try to replicate it, and they have succeeded, and they are bigger now. Uh, so I, I'm... I'm going to not even try to fight my protectiveness of Bradley. I mean, you know, Dan Schmidt, the co-editor that I mentioned, and I wrote an article uh, essay, really a little longer than our normal thing for law and liberty about what went wrong and right with conservative philanthropy. This was in the, it wasn't the immediate wake, but it was the wake of Trump's ascendance. Uh, and, and our basic point was, look, conservatism missed that which gave rise to Trump. Uh, not yeah. everybody else did, but, but conservative, Philanthropy, part of funding, Conservative Inc., as it's sometimes derisively called, it just sort of missed it. Uh, Trump was not able to take advantage of the intellectual infrastructure created by this philanthropy for Reagan, or at least not in the same way. I know there are exceptions, perhaps particularly in the legal area. But uh, it's almost as if, in my little hypothetical here, it's as if Goldwater won in 64. You know, then what would have happened? Uh, Might have been a good thing, but but, but it is the case that Reagan had an infrastructure philanthropically funded. And and now conservatism, I don't know if it's post-Trump or not, but certainly uh, in 2021, uh, is, I think, trying to come up with an infrastructure that can be as helpful uh, moving forward. Uh, first things, as you know, was part of that uh, and a good one. Uh, but there, there's a lot of roiling uh, that's continuing to go on. And it might have been better if that had been funded and taken care of and managed uh, beforehand. So I, I want to accept the compliment. It is the case that conservatives did a good job uh, in what was a smaller, really philanthropic world leading up to uh Reagan, though that was not the aim because it wasn't necessarily political. But here we are now with uh, liberals that are bigger and have learned some good lessons, including from conservatives. And, uh, well, we're dealing with it. And the ramifications are quite negative, including for our country, I think. But uh, so we've we've got to get we've got to get get going. Let's pause for a moment for what I believe is one of the best schools of higher learning in the country, the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving, Texas, and Rome, Italy, UD offers a rigorous and exciting core curriculum that sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Fidelity to man requires fidelity to the truth, which alone is the guarantee of freedom and of the possibility of integral human development. Those are the words of Pope Benedict, quoted at the University of Dallas, and guiding educators in all the departments of the university. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. You know, Andrew Carnegie, uh, he supported all those, the creation and supported all those little public libraries all across the country. Is anything, you know, sort of cultural but not political at all, any broad project like that going on in the funding world? Uh, I do not believe a project as broad as that, even on percentage terms, is going on. Now, you say something like that, of course, and then you get a bunch of emails with people saying, no, that's not true. Uh, and everybody see, see, who would Ma- say that Michael, is Michael, right. But- Michael, you're, you're way too careful. I mean, can you just shoot from the hip, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, here's the, you know, there is a uh, desire on the part of givers. A hot issue is civic education. Yeah. Uh, which it should be, you know. Uh, so that might be an equivalent uh, of what Carnegie was doing with the libraries. Uh, now, I mean, civic education might be politicized like everything else, in which case that would, you know, be something about which there should be a caution, just to throw back caution in there. But uh, yeah. no, it, there, it, all of philanthropy is a little too political, a little too short term is a more fair way to put it, probably, uh, than long term. To fund a library, as Carnegie did, was in fact long term. The right. left is, uh, you, you read the Time Magazine article by Molly Ball, they're, they're a little more short term in their outlook and wanting to elect, you know, policymakers who right. will change. Uh, I think it would be good for America and conservatism to return to a long term view of uh, in this space, the philanthropic space of uh, teaching people about our history and uh, civil society and how to be a good citizen. Uh, the concentration on winning the next election, uh, you know, how's President Jeb Bush doing? Yeah. <laughs> now, another paper that you you did on the site explores the idea, actually in another in another book, that liberal philanthropy is in fact engaged in something of a class war, and that philanthropic actions during the COVID crisis demonstrate it. Uh, what were you arguing there? Yeah, you know, that was a little summary of an article in Tablet Magazine by Michael Lind. Right. Uh, who wrote book called The New Class War. Unlike many other commentators on the right, he includes philanthropy in his criticism of, uh, you know, the managerial elite. And it, that's our plea. That's our role to get people to do that more and to recognize that and react to it uh, in, in whatever way would be the best to do so. Uh, it's just a great article. You should go to the Giving Review and click on the, the link to the tablet article. He also has a book called The New Class War. Uh, and Mark, it's funny you mentioned that. I think the most recent poster, certainly within the last two or three days, we had a video uh, Zoom conversation with Lind himself. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, you, the neoconservatives used to talk about the new class. Lynn draws distinctions between the new class and, 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 and the uh, managerial elite that he's criticizing, but uh, strikes me as strikes me as similar. We talk about this in the Zoom interview, but yeah, no, uh, liberal, progressive, big philanthropy uh, has a different way of speaking and thinking in their with your tax exempt dollars, you know, you're you're subsidizing this, that might be considered a bad word by some, but you, you are tax incentivizing the creation of this mechanism to uh, to do things in grade schools and in politics with which you would disagree. That's all. I mean, they're not satanic or anything, but they, they don't, you know, they, they sort of have it in for you if you're a barstool conservative. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that was the point. It, it caught our eye. The Lind piece caught our eye, as did his book and him. Uh, and by the way, as did uh, some of the things that Rusty Reno has said at first things, you know, it, 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 time to keep roiling the waters here, not to prepare for what I guess I'll call the next round of uh, discourse in America about what it is we want to be. Uh, as we do so, we should recognize the role that big philanthropy uh, is playing and, you know, react. Yeah. Uh, what that means, I don't know. Now, now, for you know, for many years, conservatives have complained that foundations started 
by fairly conservative benefactors or with the money that that conservative benefactor made have been twisted into liberal directions and operations. Is, is that, I mean, we, I mean, just look at Ford Foundation, right? We, we see that happen. Yeah. Is that still going on or have conservatives, has conservative wealth learned that you've got to maintain some control or it's going to drift. I think that is still going on. Maybe not as high profile because the names are different, but uh, no, no. Uh, So there, this is, uh, it's not boilerplate advice, but it's a common problem and it's a common piece of advice that you would get from any conservative grant maker or someone with an experience in philanthropy to uh, not leave it to others. There's a whole mechanism. Part of the big philanthropy setup, you know, is to educate the people who are going to be giving the money away, the staffers you would hire to do this, uh, about the options available to them. And then and, and that reflects the viewpoint, the worldview of those who are doing the teaching, which is also liberal and well-credentialed. They're part of the managerial elite. There's a whole, you know, everyone's upset about woke capitalism. Philanthropy has been more woke for longer than capitalism, certainly. And we, we would like for there to be as much upset about that. And that includes, uh, capturing money that would have been meant for different purposes uh, were the donor alive. Yeah, I, I was uh, actually going to I was going to ask you are foundations as frightened by and intimidated by uh racial and LGBT advocacy advocacy groups as corporate America is? Yes. Uh there might be a little bit more fear on the part of the corporate reaction. But I don't know, as opposed to just like plain driving the agenda, which would be what you would see on the part of the big uh, liberal foundations in America. But the answer is yes. Uh, you know, it's it's well, it's behind it. It's funding it. Uh, you know, right, big right. philanthropy you know, it had a role to play in picking up the tab on the light bills for groups and so forth uh, in BLM. But uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, big philanthropy is more woke, as I say, and has been for longer. Uh certainly than corporate America. Yeah. Uh, now, there is a lot. I mean, you know, that might be too broad a brush to go. You know, there's a lot of smaller foundations that, that are not, uh, maybe not on the coast, or, you know, maybe not as many big ones as there are on the coast who are doing this. But uh, no, the answer to your question is big philanthropy is, is uh, it's quite woke. Yeah. Uh, and, and there might be fear in there, but I think there might be a little bit more, uh, you know, active pushing of an agenda as opposed to reacting to uh, what might be embarrassment or something with a shareholder or a, yeah. uh, a private group. You know, the Olin Foundation famously set an endpoint, you know, a sunset for itself. Do you think this is a good idea? Uh, so I've got to, I mean, I worked at Bradley, which did not do that. Uh, but <clears throat> let me say that it is certainly an under, yes, I do think it's a good idea. Uh, uh, you then do not run the risk of having the money be captured, as it were, or influenced unduly by someone else who has a different version of what the donor intent might have been, or a contrary one, actually. So, yeah, that is uh, certainly worth considering, and I would urge that it be seriously considered by any grant maker. Uh, Take your shot, you know, while you're, either while you're alive or soon thereafter. With uh, th- there are ways to prevent. Uh, there are suggestions to prevent such capture by people who would disagree with your intent. But the most the, the most sure way is to spend it now. Yeah. And by the way, the money's needed. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, when we look at some of these newer funders uh, who've come in, like Mark Zuckerberg, do, do you remember several years ago, not that many, I guess, that Mark, uh, Zuckerberg dumped $100 million into the Newark, the city of Newark school system? Yes. And yeah. I think I think I think that helped make Cory Booker's career. Well, I, I believe he was mayor of New York of Newark. Uh, Newark, exactly. They stood up, you know, before the podium. I, the gov- governor Christie might have been there too, or around, or buzzing around. But uh, yeah, yes, and it's considered. You know, I don't want to be okay. Zuckerberg, good, but it's considered a failure. There but, were shortcomings in well, that. Uh, I mean, Bigfoot my- in from out of town didn't work well there. Yeah, I mean, Michael, the money didn't do a didn't didn't do a darn thing to improve the education of the kids, as far as I know. They got I nothing think that's out of right. it. There's a great book on this. Uh, we could maybe include in the show notes or whatever. Too, I actually forget the author, but uh, no. It, it, and and the criticism is from the left and the right that he didn't consult with the parents and the true actual stakeholders there uh, in a way that we at Bradley would think we were and I think plausibly uh, with voucher programs and other ways which would be more respectful of, uh, you know, well, parents uh, and, and systems. Uh, yeah. It's funny you bring up Zuckerberg because we were talking about the general tendency towards short-term politicization, uh, you know, short-term politics and, 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 and outlook. And word. Zuckerberg, of course, is a big funder uh, of the attempts to uh, help with election administration around the country. Uh, Capital Research Center has lots of material on this on their site. So he, too, I think, has probably become a little more politicized. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The election administration grants were going to certain locales and not others. And uh you know, a lot of questions uh, have been and should be raised about this. There are legislative actions against uh, such private funding of elections uh, or election administration. So he might be a prime example of the phenomena we were discussing before. Uh, why uh, uh, why aren't Republicans jumping on what happened there, filing some lawsuits, uh, getting the word out that this was a form of what electioneering or or election, you know, uh, getting involved that that uh, private funding shouldn't be able to do. Well, you know, there are some state laws that are being passed now to prevent such funding uh, in the future. Uh, to the degree there's not more, it might be because of fear of being called racist or something like that. Uh, you know, fear, fear is uh, fear is at work in lots of contexts here. But uh, I think I'll say we, speaking for CRC, there uh, think that there should, in fact, be more attention drawn to the role of uh, funders like that in things like that, uh, and that something should be done. You know, Mitch Daniels used to be on the, and, and you know, uh, reflecting now the debate within larger conservatism about what should be done, uh, you know, varying levels of aggression and varying levels of a role for government uh, in what should be done. But, uh, you know, here would be what I would urge. Mitch Daniels used to be on the Bradley Foundation board. I think this was before he went to go run OMB. And I forget what the context of his telling this story was, but uh, it was a great story that I've remembered for a long time. Others probably tell it as well. He was playing pinball in a bar, uh, and the ball was coming right down the middle, and he was pressing those buttons to get those flippers to move, but nothing was going to happen, and things did not look good. What do you do? Tilt. 
<laughs> so, you know, that's, I think, what should, I don't know what that means in this context, but it might mean, you know, calling into question uh, the whole thing, the whole operation. And in this context, that would mean, uh, you know, tax-exempt status and subsidization and, uh, you know, deductibility and so forth. But I yeah. think it's time for the waters to be roiled in this particular uh, area, as well as the larger one uh, moving forward. Is George Soros's influence a big issue here? George Soros is, would be among the biggest of funders. Yes, is the answer to that question. There's fear about saying that, too, the way they've got this set up now. But, uh, yeah, no, George Soros would be one of the bigger uh, funders of progressivism in America, in his case, around the world. Uh, and in, in, in that case, too, you know, I think the money uh, became more politicized over time. Uh, we have featured on the Giving Review a positive review of his book by Dan Schmidt, uh, complimenting, uh, recognizing, uh, lauding, really, Soros' description of his initial grant making, which was not unlike Bradley's uh, long term on the ground, trusting people. Uh, and then it became a little more, oh, specialized. Uh, but yeah, no, 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 no. George Soros and, you know, the Ford Foundation would be a flagship uh, institution of big philanthropy still in America. And then the Silicon Valley guys, uh, all of whom are familiar uh, to us uh, more than guys, males and females. But uh, the Silicon Valley money is also, you know, just sloshing around, changing the country uh, and Something should be done about it, starting with increasing knowledge about it. Is there a dangerous trend of big philanthropy cooperating with big government? Yes, not unlike uh, any other, you know, rent-seeking behavior, right? Or that trend, of course, is going to be more likely to occur when their allies are in government. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the, the tax structure. That, that is government, which is allowing for subsidizing, really, by the, by the lights of some, uh, the, the whole operation. Uh, and then, of course, government gives grants away as well. And it's probably going to be the case in the coming years of the Biden administration that we see those grants going to already pre-approved uh, grantees, you know, from the from the private philanthropic uh, world or enterprise. Uh, so, yes, that is a risk. Uh, I guess people would levy that complaint against the faith-based initiative or something of the Bush era where, oh, you're just giving to what the private philanthropy funded before. But uh, it's probably bigger and worse uh, in the coming years. And, you know, last point, what role do universities super duper wealthy universities play in this landscape? Uh, it, it's very similar. Uh, a lot of private money goes to, well, faculty members at universities. Uh, and th- that which was occurring at universities over those decades is now what's occurring on the streets of America, including in Portland. Uh, so they're very large. And then those who are looking askance upon large endowments at foundations, you know, cannot ignore the as large, if not larger or greater in number, uh, endowments uh, in higher education. Uh, basically, the same problem. 
Uh, I guess, you know, I was noting before how woke capitalism is now getting all this attention uh, that woke philanthropy essentially should be getting as well. So certainly in higher education. I, I think people do know that that's been woke <laughs> for, quite for quite some time now. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, it's basically the same phenomenon. These are the same. Uh, everybody who's got the well-credentialed uh, managerial elite of big philanthropy uh, comes from really higher ed, yeah. you know, or is very closely aligned with it. Yeah. Uh, Michael Hartman, thank you for joining us. Gosh, thanks so much, Mark. I totally appreciate uh, your having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.